Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is my friend Jason Mutford. And Jason is an educator, and he's working right now in Saratoga County. And he's going to talk about COVID and schools. So, right, uh, Jason, right after um, Thanksgiving, they came, there was a new variant from Thanksgiving till the holiday for the Christmas season. Did it spread a lot in your school district? Um, I'm going to say no because we didn't have any days where we ran out of bus drivers or any uh, threats to, to shut us down um, as had happened in the past. Uh, that's not to say that, you know, we are magically immune to uh, to COVID, either new variants or old. It just uh, didn't seem to be as much in the cards for us so far. And I hope that's because members of my community are at least, you know, taking the risk seriously enough, uh, doing, doing the little background details, washing hands, uh, maintaining social distance, limiting, uh, you know, going out with people outside of your immediate circle. I I hope that that's what's going on there. So um, how about the other schools uh, in the Capital District? Are they in the same situation uh, that your school is in? Uh, I have heard through the grapevine of uh, former colleagues who have moved on to different schools than the one I'm at. that it really it's varied. Um, some districts have a daily list of who all is absent, and that list is huge. Um, I, I know, for example, Albany High School, just before the break, um, they went virtual for the last few days. My hometown, right. which is in Long Island, um, their grades K through six, I'm sorry, K through eight stayed uh, open, but their high school had to be shut down because 4% of the student population uh, had tested positive. And so they just decided for the last three days, um, you know, do it, do it online, keep it home, keep it safe. Uh, no reason to run those numbers up any higher, especially with the holidays uh, right there that, you know, the upcoming weekend. So what, so what grade do you teach? Uh, I teach up in the high school level usually the upper grades, so like 10, 11, 12. Okay, so when the uh, talk about the vaccination for the younger kids, were the kids that you teach, were they all getting vaccinated at that point? Well, uh, actually, I have two things I need to say about that. One, uh, I would not actually be asking my students for their medical histories. Uh, and two, even if I knew that information, I do feel uncomfortable sharing it on an interview uh, just to protect right. the students I have in my class. However, um, to speak more broadly on data sets that I see you know, being, being collected, reported to the counties, to the states, and so on, it does seem that... Um, the percentage of students, um, you know, eight, eight, up through age 18, who are getting these vaccines, 
has basically followed the percentages of um, you know adults that have gotten vaccines. You know, it's a, you know a little bit lagged because it takes time to get all those shots into all those arms, but um, you know that's a, it. It seems to have followed that rate. Uh, do the kids in your class wear masks? Oh yeah, that's required by the district. Okay. Yeah, uh, the only the only unmasked time would be if you had separated outdoor physical education, uh, or if you're eating. If you're eating, they have assigned seats in the cafeteria uh, to you know uh, support and social distancing and cohorting. Um, but yeah, in, in general, if you're in the building, you're supposed to have your mask on. So that's a mandate from New York State, right? Uh, at this point, I believe it's true, but I think even before that was, you know, as, as before Omicron, as things were looking up, as the vaccine age was coming down, um, I don't think it was as much of a mandate, but we still had chosen to, to go that route knowing that, you know, we are, we are still pandemic. It is not yet endemic. So as an abundance of caution, uh, our district said, no, this is, this is the way it is. You know, you are, if you're here, you know, there is no virtual option unless the entire district has to go virtual. And if you're in the building, you're wearing a mask. So when did you go um, online? Right after uh, March of 2020? In the middle right? of March 2020. Yeah, that one, that one magical weekend, March 15th, 2020, where I think just about every school had gone virtual. Um, I remember that being a particularly interesting weekend. I personally was on my way back from a conference and got stranded at uh, Chicago's O'Hare Airport and had a delayed um, arrival back. I was going to be late to school Monday. Uh, but they had said, nope, Monday is, you know, don't worry about being here on time. Just show up for whatever meetings you can. We're, we're going virtual and figuring out what that means. Was that a difficult transition, not only for you, but the students? Oh, tremendous issues for students um, just about everywhere. Uh, so, I mean, there's technology gaps. Uh, and that, that means both access to technology, but also the savvy to know how to use it appropriately. Uh, fortunately, our district already uh, had been mostly one-to-one -one with Chromebooks, um, and we had already preemptively ordered more Chromebooks to have you know, on hand as you know, technology. It goes down. Sometimes you have to swap a unit out. Um, so we were actually in a much better place than most districts. But you know, all the, all the interpersonal stuff, uh, the students having access to their friends, um, it really, it was a big shift. And, you know, it, it, adults, I'm not just, I'm not talking about my colleagues, I'm just talking about adults in general had a hard time transitioning to life online all of a sudden. And now imagine, um, you know, imagine somebody underage, not emotionally as, as enriched with experiences having to cope with that at the same time. It, it, you know, it was very rough on students. You, you know, I, I'm a senior, and it, w it, it was difficult for me to, in my head, 
to comprehend all the stuff that was going on. I can't imagine what it must have been like for a younger person. You know, you're you're one age group, but your your students are another. Um, who had more difficulty, uh, people your age or uh, students, in coping with all the changes that happened? Uh, the very first wave of changes, I think, probably rocked school children uh, much harder than it did adults, as adults have already, just by being alive and interacting, uh, have had more opportunity to develop their own personal coping mechanisms. But then as the pandemic continued on, uh, I think that school children came up with different ways to adapt. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of TikTok at all, and I know there's been discussions in Congress to limit access to these kinds of apps. But what's also interesting is research is coming out, and I also hear this from my students, that um, when they really need help with something, when they need to reach out and connect and they feel they can't turn to, uh, to parents uh, or adults in their lives, um, they're finding a lot of good crowdsourcing people their age who have found their way through coping mechanisms sharing the coping mechanisms techniques. And most of the coping mechanism techniques, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's the same good advice that, you know, had we not had a pandemic, you would hope that the school children learn. So, it, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, but it's interesting that, that they kind of found their way with the technology and, and using social media despite all the bad things social media does to that age group, uh, it also had that very positive spin. And it's, you know, it, it was, I, don't, I don't know if I would have predicted that, but I'm not surprised by it. You know, uh, I just mentioned the middle of March 2020, uh, but, you know, it went from one day to the next. The entire world changed and that was pretty traumatizing i think it would be traumatizing for anybody wouldn't you say yeah and and i i can't even i'm trying to think back what in this nation's history would even be comparable and i'm i'm guessing getting drawn into um world war ii and how we radically started producing and um, and reducing and changing, you know, how, how we lived uh, as a nation. You know, I, I think that's the most recent massive countrywide thing that really shook us. Well, yeah, probably. I, I, for a moment I thought maybe the, the 1970s uh, oil shortages, but that, while, while that had an effect, it didn't really have as deep an effect uh, in the psyche of, of the nation. I think that was more of just a, a response to a single uh, economic supply chain disruption. Now we're dealing with all of the different supply chain disruptions. You know, you're, you're lucky you're in a profession that can't become extinct. There's so many people who have, who had jobs who no longer yeah. have jobs and 
I see your generation as really hurting because of this. Would you agree? There were already a lot of things before COVID came out. Um, there, there were already signs, like even tracing back as far as like the 2008 housing crisis uh, with all the junk mortgages um, creating instability. If you really look back, people were already doing second jobs, third jobs, side hustles, uh, the ability for a first-time home buyer to actually get that first house. There was already a lot not going well, economically speaking, uh, for, you know, for people in my generation, for people in the, in the generation after me. Um, and and I, think, I think COVID really just kind of put it all, laid it all bare out on the table saying, well, you know, here it was. We were already in a tenuous situation with, um, with jobs and affordability, and now this happened. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it went from bad to worse. Uh, so I touched upon your generation. Um, what about the, the kids that you teach? It, it hasn't been a monumental shift for them, and did they cope well? The kids as a whole cope well? from the beginning of the pandemic until now? Uh, I think research is showing, and then as I talk to, uh, again, teachers, not necessarily in my district, but just, you know, teachers I know through the course of my career, um, I think there's there's pluses and minuses, but I think they're growing up differently. I think they're going to wind up valuing different things than they would have had there not been a pandemic. So I kind of think the, you know, once we get beyond this being a pandemic, whether that means we completely cure it, uh, which I don't think is likely, or it being just endemic and turning into something like the flu season, um, Mm -hmm. I, I I think this generation coming up is going to value uh, experiences, social experiences more. And I don't mean social media experiences. I mean actually getting together, organizing picnics, um, going, going to concerts together when that's a safe thing to do. I, I think that's what they're going to come out of it, realizing like these are valuable things that maybe beforehand um, people have taken for granted. Don't you think that's a lesson for any age? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. I noticed in my career, I, I made a personal shift about, I don't know, a dozen years ago. And like I, you know, when I first got into teaching, I saw myself as a content provider, and I realized that wasn't good enough. I had to understand how people were thinking, so I had to be a content provider and a processing resource for that content, like to, to mm-hmm. role model. It's not just I open up somebody's head, pour in some knowledge, close it back up, swish it around, and, and they've learned it. it it's really about uh, developing. But then about a dozen years ago, I said, oh, you know, I actually I'm teaching one more layer of that. There is uh, I teach content, I teach process, and I teach the people in front of me. So looking at 
looking at people as whole individuals with their own motivations and drives and interests and disinterests. Um, and I feel like I feel like I was already preparing, not necessarily for a pandemic, but to uh, to make my classroom the kind of place where uh, the students that walk through my my door, you know, they, they realize I'm I'm not just processing them through. I'm trying to give them that whole experience of the human being who just happens to also have to learn math because that's the class I teach. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it. And I and I hope they go forth into the world, bringing that with them to to realize how important that human connection is. Because again, before the pandemic, I I think I think we as a society were moving in opposite directions from each other, finding reasons to to be different from each other, to be angry about being different from each other. Um, I wouldn't have wished the pandemic on anybody, but I think it's actually going to be a positive offset for that trend. But you just mentioned anger. I I, I see a lot of anger in this country. I see a lot of divisions in this country. You know, some people don't believe that this is real. Some people don't want to take the vaccine. Some people do. And there's a, a really bad you know, divide between people. I don't think that's healthy. What do you think? Oh, it's definitely not helping. Um, you know, it's it's interesting how many people I've heard say, you know, you have to follow the science. But that sounds great as a soundbite. But then I dig in and I really listen, and there's at least two different kinds of people saying you have to follow the science. And both sides... Uh, of, of that issue are cherry picking the science they want to hear. And I'm thinking, you know, if we're just going to keep cross talking like this, it doesn't even matter what we say. None of that matters. Um, you know, people, I think, are so stuck and dug into defending their own point of view because if, if their point of view is wrong, oh, it must be a personal attack now. It's like, no, it's, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say, wait, uh, I, I was right with the knowledge I had, but now that there's new knowledge, uh, I need to have a different version of what right is because, hey, this data showed up or science showed up. Um, and that's not how I'm seeing the conversation evolve culturally. I mean, among scientists in a lab, yeah, of course, they're doing hard science, but the, the everyday person is still kind of picking and choosing the the version of follow the science that they want to follow. You know, and one one group will come out with an article saying, you know, masks are the the number one prevention of transmission that you could use. Everybody should be masked everywhere. And then somebody else has a study that says, hey, masks were not shown to be substantially important in the transmissibility of COVID. And then both sides are jumping up and down in their soapbox, screaming that the other side just absolutely has to be wrong. And the truth is, maybe neither side really has enough data yet to know. But we're we're both both sides are pretty sure that they're the ones who are right, and we got to get past that. So, do you think, although the with the new variant? There's an uptick in cases. 
Do you think there's, do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Um, I do. Um, I mean, there there's an overall tendency for uh, viruses to not be too effective. If they're too effective, they kill off their hosts. They don't get to propagate. Right. Uh, I'm not imbuing some level of sentience on the part of a virus here. I'm just saying, you know, stochastically, that's not how that plays out. So there will be a general tendency for the transmissibility to only get so bad. Like, it, it, it self-moderates. Um, now, that's still going to be a catastrophic number of people who have gotten sick, might have the long COVID disease, might die, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is, this is um, SARS-CoV-2. We've been researching SARS-CoV-1 since like 2003, 2004. Uh, mm-hmm. In that time, separate groups have developed the gene editing protein CRISPR. Uh, and I know that they've used CRISPR to cure a couple of cases now of sickle cell anemia, and I think there's another disease where they, they made a designer chemical to find that, that gene to change how the body responds so that it, it winds up, you know, in the sickle cell case, it ended up, um, they put it in the bone marrow, it started being the dominant form of red blood cell formation and eventually extinguished the sickle cell gene in the participants' bodies. So I think we're getting to the point where no matter how many variants come in the next, you know, half decade or full decade, we're still marching forward to the point where we can take a coronavirus genome as a whole, encompassing all of its variants, but find something that's common to all of them and find a way to use chemicals like CRISPR to uh, basically neutralize the propagation of something like coronavirus. So, and, when I, and again, when it, we didn't go oh, ahead. I was gonna say, um, and again, it's not we didn't get caught flat-footed on this kind of science. You know, 2019, we're already doing that stuff with CRISPR and and similar gene editing tools. Uh, We've already been researching almost two decades coronaviruses uh, after the SARS-CoV-1 variant um, happened back then. Like, there's, there there was a lot of base knowledge that maybe wasn't ready for prime time, but certainly a lot of, a lot of dress rehearsals have happened. So I I see us wrapping up and getting to a point of stability uh, a lot faster than I think a lot of my friends and colleagues believe is going to happen. There, there's a lot of defeatist depressionism, exhaustion with the pandemic, uh, just being fed up that I'm, I'm seeing out there. But personally, I'm, I'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel here. So have you seen the, the kids that you teach, have they seem a lot less optimistic about uh, society? Um, I think there has been both an increase in being jaded, but also an increase in the drive to change it from being jaded. It's almost, 
it's almost like a little bit of an elastic rubber band. Like, you know, they have been stretched in a certain direction. And if you just take a, a Polaroid snapshot of it, that's all you'll see that they're jaded. Um, but if, you know, I, I get to see students basically five times a week. I get to see them have an evolution of their own thought process. And, you know, that's more than you can capture in a snapshot. That, that's, that's a fuller story. And mm -hmm. I see them wanting to, you know, to push back against this. They're, ta they're taking lessons from this pandemic that I think ultimately are beneficial. Mm. And what do you think those lessons are? Well, again, that they want to have better just human interactive experiences, um, that mm -hmm. they are going to have more confidence in the things that they go after. If they, if they can tolerate mm -hmm. all the stuff that we've had to do extra because of this pandemic, uh, some of those other adulting things aren't going to seem so daunting and hard. It's like, oh, you know, buying a house. Yeah, it's, it's complicated, but it's, it's, you know, I survived a pandemic, I can buy a house. Uh, I, can, I can apply and reach for a job that might be a stretch for me, but I'm going to feel confident when I get there and they start training me above my own current skill level that I'm not going to be an imposter in that role. I'm, I'm going to be able to step up. So, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, there really is something to, when you, when you stress upon someone and then they get to see themselves after that stress, there's a certain level of confidence that comes out. And I think it would. I think it's an earned confidence. Yeah. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So. And, they, and I mean, they're they're young enough and pliable enough. They, you know, they haven't. They're still forming identities or coming to know their identities. So this is, for for at least you know my age of school children, they're they're going to come out. I think ahead. You know, it seems so. So daunting, to think that these kids have have dealt with so much the sickness and and you know people maybe dying and j jobs lost and it just seems so uncomprehensible to me and like i said before being a young person i don't envy them whatsoever would you say that my outlook is right or wrong I don't envy anybody in this pandemic, really. Um, you know, it's a it's a real negative situation to be in. Um, but despite despite that, I mean, you what what is it? You know, you play the hand you're dealt. And right. again, when when the pandemic first hit, I think I think school children lost just about everything that wasn't immediate family. And as we've mm -hmm. been moving back towards reopening, as we're coming back to, you know, the, the, the extreme preference is to have in-class learning happen, to have the mm -hmm. socialization that comes with that happen. Um, you know, I think they realize, like, okay, we, we as a culture are really fighting to have the things that we value most while still being responsive to, you know, not just having uh, an unmitigated pandemic on our hands. 
So like they get it. Mm-hmm. They get that the masks are to keep this in check till we can handle it. They get that handling it will take time. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. As, you know, as they've been coming back out, I think they're they're really also very honest about you know appreciating the the little things as mm-hmm. secretly being the big things in life. Well, Jason, we're out of time, and I appreciate you taking this time to come on Focus on Albany to talk about what it's like being a teacher and interacting with students. So you've been listening to Jason Mufford. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Jason, have a wonderful new year, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a happy new year, and thanks, as always, for having me. Take care.